make sure your blood's all in and tight because I heard a little crack. Just want to make sure you're tight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Heaven's coming down, down, down. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When heaven comes into your life, it should get loud. Amen. You know, it's been said before. You know, y'all on Sunday night, I don't know if this is where you sit on Sunday morning or what, but we really spread out, don't we? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Might as well feel like we fill the place up anyway. Hallelujah. But, you know, we've said this over and over, but I think if it gets on the inside of us, it'll really make a difference that God uh, rides or inhabits our praise. He's enthroned on our praise. Never enthroned. In fact, if we understood it, that the devil really in his uh, desire to execute things in our life is really more enthroned when we begin to complain and murmur. He's able to move through that uh, situation. Our, 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 as we'll talk about tonight, our, our old nature really begins to get stirred up. But when we begin to praise God, no matter what the circumstance, he comes in to that praise. I mean, you know, the supernatural things that we don't understand. Well, how does me, when I don't feel good, just starting to praise God change anything because it's supernatural? Because he can get into that praise. Say, so how's he getting into that praise? It's just me saying stuff. No, he, he gets into that and begins to work by his spirit. And so as we begin to, to praise him and, you know, we, we get excited here together corporately and have the music playing, that's one thing. And, and it's really we're just equipping you uh, for, for what comes. But, you know, it's, it's that, that day in your house when you get some negative news. It's that time, you know, when you feel like, you know, nothing's going right. It's that, that place when discontentment tries to attack you, that that's the most important time to say, no, 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 no. And it's a choice that we make. Right? It's a choice that we make. You know, I heard one, one person say, uh, just the other night, said, you know, uh, the Bible says that, uh, uh, you know, we're to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding guards our heart and our mind. He said, you know, it's not that anxiety won't come, but the moment that the opportunity to be anxious and take anxiety comes, we have to make a choice. We can be anxious or we can pray. And we can praise. And when we begin to pray and praise, the anxiety begins to fade away. And then the peace of God, the nature of God comes. And when he comes in all of his fullness through praise, all of a sudden our mindset changes. And we can begin to think in praise on what is good, what is pure, what is lovely, what is just, things of good report. When we begin to praise him, we're already thinking about the good report, what God has done for us, what he's doing. And so the enemy tries to come to make that seem false and create anxiety, but we make a choice to turn what was the enemy wanted to bring anxiety from, and we turn it to praise, and peace comes instead of anxiety. And in that peace, we begin to think better, right? Whenever anxiety comes, you ever done that. I mean, you got a little anxious and man, it'll run. The other night I got attacked in my sleep. It wasn't Tasha. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
But I woke up. I mean, I woke up. I don't know why I woke up. And uh, I could not go back to sleep. And all of a sudden, I started thinking of everything and anything that you could start to think of. And I mean, I just started tossing and turning and tossing and turning and things that I needed to do, didn't do, things that were going to go wrong that never would go wrong. But man, I just, and man, I, I, it took me a while. I mean, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, but it took me a little while. While I'm tossing and turning, I thought, no, no, I'm not losing sleep over this stuff. I can't change it right now at three o'clock in the morning anyway. And I just began to praise God. Within moments, I fell asleep, but I had to make that choice for a while. I wasn't recognizing what was going on. I'm tossing and turning, getting anxious, you know, getting, ah, oh, man, I'm going to have to get up in a minute and just, and I just said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to pray. And immediately, peace and sleep came back to me. But you have to make that choice because otherwise it'll just run you down a road and you'll think you can't get back. But praise is so important. So I appreciate it when our worship team gets us. Some people say, why are y'all screaming and yelling? Sometimes, you know, the devil's not deaf. God's not deaf. But sometimes it just takes that act of our will to, sh to block out everything else by being so loud. Amen? And not just here, but when we go home and the enemy tries to just make it loud. Doesn't he do that sometimes? He tries to get loud in a sense. And just making his, what he's trying to say, the primary thing. And sometimes you just have to get louder than that. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be here. I believe that God has good things for us tonight. And uh, just want to remind you, uh, the Easter egg hunt next Saturday morning, uh, 9 a.m. is your registration. Or you can register now, and that will eliminate some things uh, on uh, Saturday morning. If you know families around you, go ahead and bring them. It's always a really, really great time. And then it's just a great opportunity as they see and meet people to invite them back to Easter Sunday morning uh, where we'll be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. And it'll be awesome. And so just invite you to come to the Easter egg hunt and then Easter service next week. Uh, next week, Sunday night, we will not have a Sunday night service. So Easter, we just, you know, by the time we get all done and, and go home and have Easter meal together, sometimes it's just a rush, especially for our worship team and the people who serve. So we take that night off just to celebrate with family what Jesus has done and um, uh, encourage you to do that. And uh, praise the Lord. If you weren't here this morning or weren't uh, prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. As Alan says, we're believing with you for the best year that you've ever had and uh, things to be taken care of, paid off, uh, flourishing like no other. No matter what the news is, that uh, God has a plan in the midst of other things where he can uh, bring his hand upon us and bless us more than we ever imagined. Amen. So again, your best year ever. We thank you for your generosity. Uh, I, I will endeavor uh, this week to get a, a full report on things that are going on in Romania concerning the Ukrainian refugees that uh, you've generously given to so we can give you an updated report on that. Again, they've been taking people in uh, uh, really by, by uh, I think, hundreds in a week and uh, taking care of those things, housing those who others uh, aren't equipped to house. And in fact, a team from Tulsa went down there and they're adding on to their campus so that they can house people. So things are going on and things are taking place. So I'll try to get a clear updated report for you. But again, thank you for your generosity in so many areas, uh, not just here, but reaching the whole world. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did I tell them how to give? Y'all know how to give. Make it a check. Make it at the New Creation Church. If you give by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. Ushers will give you an envelope. They already take care of that. Text. Praise the Lord.
You guys do that without me saying anything. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give, to declare our covenant with you, that everything that we have belongs to you. Everything you have belongs to us. We're in covenant partnership together. We acknowledge that. Bring our tithes and our offerings before you. And I thank you that you declare in your word that you'll cause it to come back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give into our bosom, that you are a God who supplies every need. And so right now, I declare over this people that you supply their every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. While the buckets are going, you can open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 7. And uh, if you have an electronic Bible with different translations, I'm going to shift it up just a little bit because I like the way this particular uh, translation brings Romans 7. Uh, So we're going to read from the NLT until the very end, and then we're going to read from the Message Bible. Uh, We have been going through this. And I have, I have one question to ask you. How many of you think that the devil is your major enemy in life? Raise your hand if you think the devil is your major enemy in life. Only about half of you. How many of you believe that your spouse is your major enemy in life? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> How many of you believe your neighbor is your major enemy in life, right? Your employer. Sometimes we think that. But you know, really, uh, in, in Romans 5, 6, and 7, the Apostle Paul is really trying to identify our major enemy in life. And our major enemy in life is our flesh. That's right. That old sinful nature. So often we want to blame it on the enemy, but he says, really, the battle that rages the enemy really is something that if uh, we find on the inside of us, that warfare that's going on the inside, our old nature trying to come back. And so really, if we never identify the proper enemy, we cannot um, overcome. And so, you know, uh, sports teams all over, you know, the world, really in the United States, baseball teams, basketball teams, football teams, the coaching staff, all those, you know, cons- uh, encountering the different positions, they um, are watching film day and night and night and day. They're watching their opponents' moves and actions and coming up with a plan on how to overcome their opponent, because they identify their opponents, their opponent's movements, and their opponent's uh, actions, and um, man, did that just get loud? I know it, we said it, was, it might get loud, but that got a little loud. Um, <laughs> and so uh, the same is true if we're seemingly fighting against an opponent that is not uh, our, our most uh, uh, formidable adversary then we can really begin to tread water or, or, or just seem like we're running in circles or not getting anything accomplished. But the moment we identify the true enemy and how that works in our life, then we can begin to overcome those things. And so Paul really begins to say that this, this sin nature came to us through the sin of Adam, right? And so through Adam, all sin, but through Jesus Christ, all were made righteous, 
He goes on to talk about this nature, this sinful nature that gets drawn. And if we go ahead and give place to the sinful nature, it will once again capture us and and lead us in whatever way it desires. But if we go ahead and give ourselves over to the new nature of righteousness, then that will guide and govern our life. And so Paul is belaboring this a little bit, but I believe he's belaboring this uh, point to show us who the enemy really is that we're struggling against. And so that with the strategies and with the life that God has given us and the explanation of what God did in Christ Jesus and how much more powerful and how much greater the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was to us that we overcome that adversary of our flesh, the old nature. And so here he begins to bring an analogy, just as he said, you know, he talked about slavery in verse 6, and he said, listen, I'm using a natural analogy just really because of your weakness to understand the spiritual truth of it. Again, he brings a, a natural analogy, and so he says, now, dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church, the body of Christ, he says, now, dear brothers and sisters, you are familiar with the law. Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? And so, you know, you scratch your head and you're like, hmm, wait a minute. Uh, he, He brings this example. He says, for example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of the marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, he would be committing adultery if she married another Uh, married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remains. And so really, you know, the first point that Paul is trying to make here is he says, initially in our life, initially we were married to this carnal, sinful nature. We were joined to this sinful nature. Because of Adam and that that place that we were given into by Adam's sin, because Adam married himself to sin in the garden, then he passed that on. He said, so because of this, we are really married to sin. He goes on in verse 4, he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a good harvest of good deeds for God. So the next point that he's making, he said, you are initially married to sin through this carnal nature. But he said, when, when you died to sin through Jesus Christ, then you became married or brought into covenant with Jesus Christ. And now because of that marriage, you can produce good things. So I heard one person say this. He says, you just can, you can only imagine that under sin, you were a pig. And a pig married to pigs. And so pigs married to pigs produce pigs. Right? And so your marriage to sin just produced stuff, just sloppy stuff, ungodly stuff. And when, when you died to that sin and got married to Christ, you didn't just become a pig with a tuxedo. No, you raised, he said, you raised to a newness of life. In other words, when you died to being a pig, you raised a lamb. And so lambs and pigs don't unite. Or if they do, you get one weird looking Big. 
But he said, no, we were raised as lambs and were joined to the lamb. So now the offspring of that are lambs. Come on, he says you can do good things. He said under the sin, you, under sin you could do no good thing. But with Jesus Christ, good things begin to be produced. And so really when we understand that we were married initially to sin, uh, that, that old sin nature, then we got born again, we have to understand that really as he's talking about this, under uh, that sinful nature, under that marriage to sin, our counselor was the law. Our counselor was the law. And the law said, really, as a pig, you can try as hard as you want, but you can never become a lamb. And though you strive to be and to have what lambs have, you can never be that. And so it counseled us and showed us what was better for us, but it could never bring us to the place of being a lamb. And being married to Christ, our counselor is the Holy Spirit. Right? And it brings a guide to us, and he is our guide and our counselor and our consoler. And so the things that we see and the things that we know uh, really come from and and are directed by the Holy Spirit because he is our counselor, right? And so under the first marriage, we were helpless except for to bring forth only the works of the flesh nature. Turn over to Galatians. Galatians. Chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, we're blessed to have these letters compiled for us in the Bible. When he wrote this to the Roman church, he's he's using that analogy and they're, they're, they're taking that and putting that together, but we can put them together and see how what he told the Galatian church, what he told the Roman church, what he's speaking to us about really begins to fill in gaps and begins to, to, to make it hopefully make a, a little bit more sense to us and bring some understanding to us. But here he says in Romans or Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, he said, this I say, if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now listen, this is what he, he's saying, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, if you're married to a pig, breeding with a pig, the offspring of that is evident. It's going to be pigs. Come on. And so he said it's evident. When you're married to the old sinful nature, things work out because of that union. And he said these are the things that are really going to show forth and actually become the fruit of your life being married and were the fruit of your life. He said this, their adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. In other words, he says within that fleshly nature, you're looking for love and it shows up in sexual immorality. It's idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He said, man, this thing just keeps going and producing things that are not healthy and producing things that go against your spiritual life, and they're going down a road of destruction. 
They said this is the offspring of being joined to the flesh, and there's something that we'll understand as Paul goes through this speaking of the church that we have to understand that 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 union to that old nature was broken when we accepted Christ, and we died with him, and we raised to newness of life. But he said when when you are joined to the Spirit, then there's offspring. When you're a lamb joined to the lamb, you're going to have lambs. And the offspring from that being joined to the Spirit and the counsel of the Holy Spirit in our life, in that union with Christ, is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 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 self-control. Come on, that old sinful nature is the one sinful nature that says, I've got you, and you can't help it. But join to the Holy Spirit when that comes, and that old sinful nature comes and says, come on, let's commit adultery together. Come on, you want to. We say, no, I don't. I have power over this. faithfulness. He says, against such there is no law. There is no law. So this place that we are in this, really this first marriage with him shows up the offspring of being married with him, the things that will be produced through our life in Christ through us. But the old nature showed forth the things that were being produced, even in desires that come forth, things that pull out of us, things that the enemy begins to to rise up. And for many people who don't even know, they they don't see the law, they don't understand, they would look and you, you scratch your head, they say, well, I don't even know that there's anything wrong with this. Because they're married to sin and there is nothing to show up that it's killing them and destroying their life. But that's what the law came to do, and and he's telling us the law came to do this to show up that this stuff is destroying your life and taking you away from the original intent that God had and the fellowship that he wanted you to have with him. And so we always continue to understand that there's things that are at work by the strategy of sin to work through that old nature to pull us away from God. Back to Romans chapter 7. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 7. Aha. It's a little bit too small for me to see right now. I'm having a little trouble. There we go. Praise the Lord. So he goes on to tell us this. <clears throat> Let's see, where am I? Five, thank you. He said, when we were controlled by our old nature, uh, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, 
but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Come on. In other words, you can tell who someone's been sleeping with by the offspring of their life. He said, sin starts to, or, or the law, when it comes, it starts to arouse some things from the old nature. It starts to pull on some desires of the old nature, and when we begin to move over to that place. You know, there's a whole movie years ago called Sleeping with the Enemy. And after we're born again, sometimes we get to that point of like, thank God I'm, I'm saved and all that, and Jesus, I love you, but you know, um, I just feel like stepping out tonight and hanging out with the old flesh nature. And there's just something of the old nature that says that, and, and the flesh tries to stir up in that stuff, and it gets a, a, a warped mindset. And if we look at Romans 6 and 7, and he says it again, you know, there in, in, in verse, uh, chapter 1 of verse 6, they got to this place of saying, well, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so they had this thinking, I mean, the flesh just rose up, so, so we should sin, right? So that grace can abound. Then they said, you know, later on, wow, if we're not under the law, we're under grace, then we're just free to do whatever we want. We can sin. And he said, no way. That, that flesh nature comes up. And it really what they were saying, they were saying something like this in, in parallel to what Paul is saying right now, is your flesh will come up and say, man, isn't God good? How he forgave my sin and released me in that way. Isn't that so awesome? I want people to know the goodness of God. So I'll go sin so they can see how God forgives. Really what they were saying is, it would be as if a husband says, you know, I really have an awesome wife. She's a loving wife. She's a forgiving wife. And I'm going to show you just how forgiving my wife is. I'm going to go commit adultery. And watch, after I commit adultery, she's going to forgive me. That's the way I can show you what a forgiving wife I have. That's weird, isn't it? That's a warped way of thinking, but that's how they were thinking. And if you're not careful, that's what your old sinful nature will lead you into. Man, I'm just loving God, serving God. You're so good. You're so wonderful. But tonight, I just feel like doing something different. Just doing something I'll enjoy more. But I'm so, I'll come back because I know you'll forgive me. So don't get into that thinking because that's really the captivity of that sinful nature that draws you away from this wonderful relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Come on. And Jesus really declares to us and says, I want you to be a faithful, faithful partner. John 15, turn over there. John, the 15th chapter. John, the 15th chapter, and we'll start in the fourth, fourth verse. 
He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So over and over again, he says, if you abide in me. In other words, if you've been married with me, that word abide means to remain. It means to take up residence. It means to stay in that place of union with Christ. He says, I want you to be a faithful partner. You've died to the old marriage of sin through the law, and you have been reunited. He said you couldn't do that as long as you were serving sin and serving uh, uh, under the law, but you died with Christ, and you came over, and you are now united with me. And he uses this analogy over and over that when we are united with him and we choose to say, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the flesh for a night, for a day, for a week, he calls that adultery. Because really in his mind, that's really what he sees it as, is I've done everything and you're united with me, but you're deciding for the pleasure of a moment to leave me for something that will give you pleasure for a moment rather than the covenant that we've committed to one another to live and to abide with each other forever. So we don't want to step aside and leave that place right, of abiding in him. He said that fruit that we just saw, that offspring of abiding with him is the love and the joy and the peace and the goodness and the gentleness, the self-control, the faithfulness that he has. It comes as we stay united with him. But when we step out and, and give place to that old sinful nature, that enemy, all of a sudden, those things begin to be produced. And all of a sudden, we have that weird thing that starts to happen within our life that a lamb and a pig uniting creates a very odd creature. And when Christians step out and try to live in the flesh and commit adultery in that place, all of a sudden there is an odd-looking being that has a relationship and a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet we're hard to tell apart from the world and its activities, but there's something different. A pig that you have to shear is just not a pig. Come on. And so it's something that's odd. And, and, and Paul is saying, I, the, the body of Christ, I don't want you to look odd. I don't want you running around and having this mixed offspring of your life, the offspring of sin and the offspring of righteousness. I want to see that fruit of righteousness continually produced because of this relationship that we have. But he's also addressing for us and for them how this comes about and what goes on. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Are you all with me? Yes, sir. Romans chapter 7. And we're picking up at verse 7, right? Yes. All right, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. So he says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. 
In fact, it was the law that showed up my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to rouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. Go on in verse 9. It says, at one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. He'll go on to say, so, you know, he makes us think the law is bad, the law is bad, the law is bad. And then he comes up and does a direct 180 on us and says, no, the law is good. Because what he told us in Romans chapter 5 was that you were born under sin and it kept you from God, but you didn't even know it. And so covetousness was still covetousness, whether you knew it or not. And it was begetting your evil desires, taking you farther and farther away from God into a place that was separate from God. So the law came to say, look it, covetousness is wrong. And you would have thought, covetousness is wrong. Great, I'll stop doing it. But it showed up that there was something in you that instead of saying, great, I'll stop because covetousness is wrong, there was something in you that said, how can he tell me covetousness is wrong? I'll covet if I want to. Because sin and the flesh was birthed in that moment when God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent came and said, you can make your own decision right here and look at that. Why would he tell you not to eat of that? And the very action that they took that says, we will make our own decision based on what we think is best for us, married them to that lie, and sin began to produce. And so when the law came, it showed that nature that says, if covetousness is wrong, it stirred something in me to say, well, we'll see how wrong it is. I'll do it anyway. Anybody ever found that arise in you? Oh, you tell me I can't? Well, I'll show you I can. Right? And even when we're believers sometimes, we're like, I know God says I, I shouldn't. I know he says not to, but there's something that wants me to do it anyway. And he said, that is that old nature being aroused to do what it wants to do through the law. See, because the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, and it can't be. So those who are just in that sin nature with no guidance, with no reflection, they're going in covetousness and idolatry and sin and adultery and sexual sins and wrath and selfishness, and they're like, there's nothing wrong with it. But the moment somebody says there's something wrong with it, it's wrong. They're like, oh, okay, but they can't control it, just like you and I couldn't control it. It showed it up to show that it was wrong, but now we feel bad because, man, before you ever told me that, I didn't know it was wrong. Now it's wrong. Now I'm bummed about doing it. I thought I was okay doing it. Now I see that. Now I'm not okay with doing it. 
But that was all there so you could say, I'm not okay with doing it, yet I keep doing it. But there's an answer to all this. And it's to die to this union with the old sin nature and be raised to a union of the nature of righteousness in Christ. Come on, Paul said this is how it came about, and he's trying to instruct us in what we do and how we continue to go through uh, this thought and in this way. And so um, in verse 11, he says, so sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It used God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So this is a little bit of a weak analogy. But you can have a tool like a hammer that is awesome. You can build a house with it. You can build a habitation with it. It's a good tool. But you know what? You can have a hammer in your hand and all of a sudden get mad at somebody and take that hammer that is intended for good to build a house and beat somebody silly with it. Something in the hands of evil can beget evil. So so the law was a tool to help us to see, but the sin nature took that tool and created lawlessness and evil. He said, we're just showing up through the law how bad sin really is. Right? Not that the hammer was bad, but the hammer in the hand of an angry person is bad. Not that the law is bad, but the law presented to somebody that has a nature of sin becomes opposition and shows up that I am not alive unto God. You see what Paul's doing? He's trying to bring that parallel so we never return and cause that old union to sin to stir up and come to life in the form of adultery against God. But that every time we see it coming, we declare, I'm dead to you. I have no obligation to you anymore. He'll tell us this in Romans chapter 8 as we go on. He says, listen, you are no longer a debtor to sin to serve it. It's been broken. You don't owe your old life anything. You don't owe your flesh nature anything. You've been united to the spirit of the living God. The debt for your sin has been paid. You have been set free. Huh? And that's good news. It's just really good news. Praise the Lord. So he's just lining out here some things that really are, are powerful to us. Now I want to go to the message translation to finish uh, this up so that we can see that really Paul's predicament, as most of us know it as really our own predicament in life, is really the resulting uh, consternation of someone who is caught 
in the carnal nature dominating their life as a Christian. The carnal nature dominating our life as a Christian. So Romans chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 14 in the Message Bible. He said, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I spent a long time in sin's prison. Aren't you glad whom the Son has set free is free indeed? He says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. Come on. He says, listen, when I'm struggling with this, it becomes obvious that there needs to be a command of God. Verse 17, but I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. You ever been there? I mean, this predicament that we're in, I truly delight in God's commands. I can't even trust myself. On Sunday, I'm truly dedicated to God. On Sunday, I'm doing it. But by Wednesday, something's just creeping up on the inside of me. By Friday night, I'm just like, wah! So next Sunday, I'm committed to God and his plan. What in the world is going on? I need help. Come on, this is where we haven't fully begun to understand that. So verse 23, it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. Right? I decide I'm going to delight in God, and I've gone. I've gone a week. I've gone two weeks, I've gone a month, and a month and a half when I think I got this thing conquered, out of nowhere, I got this desire pushing me into something I swore I wouldn't do. Verse 24, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I've tried shutting the computer off, I've tried calling my friends. I've called everything. It seems like nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? 
Isn't that the real question? Come on, we've seen it in the day that we live in, and I believe it's because people haven't identified the real enemy and saw the true revelation of their death to the old nature and their new union and marriage to Christ and how important that union is. And we're looking all out there for someone to help me with this sinful nature that tries to keep raising its ugly head. And who in the world can help me? That's the real question. Who's ever going to help me? But he didn't leave us without the answer. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Come on. He is the one who was tempted in every single point like as we were and as we are, yet without sin. He knows exactly how to help you with that temptation and overcome the old nature which is stirred and aroused by the law to do what's wrong. He knows how to overcome it. Thank God. He acted to set things right in this life of contradiction where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Come on, he says this is the consternation of not fully understanding that union that you have, the old nature, the persistence of that flesh and that sinful nature will try to stir itself up, and it just always seems like a contradiction. And many have left the faith because of that contradiction. They're like, man, I'm so confused. I'm so not understanding why I want to serve God. I want to serve God. Why in the world can't somebody help me serve God? And then I come to church, and people just tell me to live right, and I'm trying to live right, but there's a contradiction. But we haven't realized that the enemy is not out here somewhere. The enemy is your flesh nature being aroused by what you shouldn't do and it goes let's just do it anyway but there is power over that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ it's that life I mean you want to know the answer fully to what Jesus is doing to overcome this praise the Lord well we're going to cover that in two weeks Come on. I know you're going through Romans, so you can just jump right on in. But he's ready to answer this predicament that seems to grab a hold of Christians everywhere as they move into a new life in Christ. And that old nature tries to say, are we really dead? Because if we were dead, how could we start to pull you away? But it's really our understanding, not the fact that it has power over us. It's our lack of understanding that I'm dead to you. And Paul explained earlier, if you're dead to sin, how in the world are you ever going to live any longer in it? But when we see, rather than grace, and everything that we desire to do and the things that we avoid doing are not because we have to not do it. Come on, if you do this, you're in big trouble. Well, would you see how much trouble we get in? Come on, that, that sinful nature longs for enforcement so that it can rebel against that enforcement. Huh? 
That's why as parents, you know, we've talked about this before, but as parents, certainly when, when children are little, you have to lay out the rules of the house and when they walk and, you know, they, they begin to find out. It's just like he was saying. He said, I was, I was without the law. I was alive once. You find this in little children. Their heart is just pure before God. They're in a place where, man, they worship God. They're, I mean, we see kids in children's church. They're sold out to God. They're, they're weeping on the floor. They're, they're, some of them are having visions and all that stuff. And all of a sudden they become 10, 11, or 12, and all of a sudden they're like, ah, all these things I've been told not to do, maybe I'll give them a try. He said, because all of a sudden we came to an age where we knew I can decide for myself. And that sinful nature that was dormant begins to come out and say, we'll see if you can tell me what to do. And said it revives and then we start to live in this, this aspect of this, this place, and we begin to look at the, those things in, a, in a, a not right manner. We begin to understand that what God did for us in Christ Jesus caused us to die out to that and be joined to him. And we know that now, through Jesus Christ, that we have that self-control. We have that place where we live with him. That we're not looking to make all those choices where sin revives, and it makes that that, that, that place where we desire to do something apart from God. But, you know, as, as children, I know where I was going. I kind of lost my thought there, but I knew it would come back to me. And so we raise our children. Initially, we say, you can't do this. And we guide them and say, you know what? Uh, don't touch the stereo. And they decide, well, I'm going to test this. And they touch the stereo. And you enforce that. You give them some punishment. Why? To guide them through that. But as they grow, we endeavor to develop a relationship understanding that you're part of this family and you have responsibility in this family because we love you and you love us, right? You don't take out the trash because if you don't take out the trash, you're in big trouble. You take out the trash because if you don't, it's going to overflow, and we as a family are going to live in a pigsty. So you have a part to play. You have a responsibility to play. And we develop that relationship when you don't, when it's all about enforcement and you have teenagers and it's all about enforcement, you're in trouble, you're in trouble, then when you go on vacation and leave your teenagers home, you are worried that a party is going on at your house. So I hope they don't do that. But you know that they continually see, I'll see how much I can get away with because if I can do it and not get in trouble, wahoo! What can I get away with? And too many Christians are asking this question. I wonder how much flesh I can give place to and still get away with it and go to heaven. But he said, you're still under the bondage of that law and sin when it's all about what you can and can't get away with without getting into trouble. But he said, when you married yourself to Christ, it's all about love. And now sin and the enemy through sin has no hold on me because there's no desire to do anything against the one that I love and that I'm married to. I'm not afraid of getting in trouble. I just don't want to. And the freedom of that is extraordinary. The freedom that where the enemy used to come and say, come on, you want to. You're not going to get into trouble. He'll forgive you. And in fact, you'll prove his love and forgiveness by doing it and coming back and watch. He'll forgive you. 
And because he does, we start to realize, you know what? That's not the question. The question is, is not that he loves me so much he'll forgive me, but if I love him, why do I keep wanting to step out on him? When we resolve that, I do love him. And I don't ever want to do that again. The enemy's like, whoa, wait a minute. You do want to. And we get into that quandary like, I say I don't want to, but then I want to. Because we haven't really put that thing into reality and practice. The place where I know even if I make a mistake, condemnation will not start to rule me. Guilt and shame won't pull me far away. But I'll come back to him and say, made a mistake and I never want to do that again because he loves us. Paul is trying to lead us, the church of that day and everything, out to clearly understand we died to sin and that nature. When we were born again, there's a brand new nature. The very source of our desires comes from a different place. When we find other desires coming, we can easily bring them to the cross, a place of crucifixion, and cause them to be eliminated by the power of God. Amen? Amen. And live in that life. Praise Praise the Lord. So we might have lived in sin previously until death do us part. And now we live with him forever. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you, we magnify, and we glorify you. Thank you for your word. It's truth and it's life. Pray that as we go from here, the enemy will have no hold on anyone concerning condemnation, guilt, or shame. That we will understand truly what you've done for us and how sin, that nature, that our enemy, our old nature, our old flesh nature, endeavoring to rise up and pull us back, that we'll see that we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we are alive. In the life we now live in the same flesh that we lived in under the sinful nature, we live now by faith in the Son of God because he loved us and he gave himself for us. And we are no longer under the law that showed up that sinful nature, but we are under grace that shows up the righteousness of God that you've done for us and the ability to do what's right from a loving heart and relationship, that which we could not do when the law showed it up, now we can do because of righteousness with you. That truly we might take everything that the enemy comes and tries to revive and we bring it to the cross to crucify it, to, to make sure it's dead once and for all. And we see resurrection come forth in a greater measure that we truly walk in the freedom by which Christ made us free. That because of that prison or that slavery we were under, we are so used to doing certain things in that bondage of sin. But I thank you, Lord, that through Jesus Christ we've been set free. And there's new habits and a new way of life and a new way of living that as we enjoy relationship with you, we learn, we understand, and we begin to flourish in that life that we have with you no longer hindered or even drawn by the things of the old nature, but the new nature dominating our decisions, our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. 
We thank you for that. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit helping us, guiding us, strengthening us, and truly leading us in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to